Welcome to the Story of My Pet podcast. I'm your host, Julie Marty Pearson. It was my passion for animals that fueled me to start this podcast, and I'm so glad you're here to join me along the way. Today, we'll hear from another guest telling their tales of their amazing pets from yesterday and today. We'll be able to talk about rescue and adoption and so much more about our amazing animal friends. Don't forget to stick around at the end to hear about the organization we're highlighting in today's episode. Hello, 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 my friends and fellow animal lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Story of My Pet podcast. I am your host, Julie Marty Pearson, as always, and I'm anxious for you to meet our guest today coming all the way from Australia to join us. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's wonderful to be able to talk all the way across the internet to the other side of the world and the Northern Hemisphere. Yes, it's amazing. You know, I've, I've met people from all over. I only have a few episodes in. I'm already finding people in all over the world. And it's amazing how we can reach each other. Okay, so I'm going to start out telling you a little bit about Carolyn. And then we'll start talking about her experience with animals and her adorable poodle, Gigi. So Carolyn is a doctor of marine and molecular biology. She worked as a marine biologist on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia for almost a decade before switching to aquaculture genetics research. She then started managing a genetics lab, although she's currently on a leave of absence from that position, um, dealing with some of her own health issues, and that's where Gigi comes in. She calls herself today Dr. Zen, by the help of her therapy poodle, Gigi, and eventually wants to start her own coaching business. Hi, Carolyn. So great to have you here. It's amazing. Um, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about your work as a marine biologist and the genetics lab. It's just so amazing to hear such a perspective. I've never really known anyone as a marine biologist before. <laughs> yeah, it's funny in Australia here, particularly on the Great Barrier Reef, there's an awful lot of us. Uh, we tend to congregate around the James Cook University, which is at, certainly when I went through uni, was the place to go to become a marine biologist. There's a few other universities now, uh, University of Queensland, where I did my PhD. It's got a really good marine science program. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're, we're almost a dime a dozen uh, where I live in North Queensland. So I'm not that unique here, yeah. <laughs> um, but I love it. You know, I had a wonderful career. That's amazing. Well, I would say in the U.S., um, since I live in California, I, you do find a few of them here in California since we have a very long coastline. Um, and there are several universities here in California that have marine biology um, programs. So I do know we have it, but personally I've never met one. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank so you. Um, prior to having Gigi, had you ha did you grow up with animals? Absolutely. I, I moved around a lot. Um, my parents were living in Papua New Guinea, right up in one of the remote, remotest parts of it in the highlands um, when I was born. So my mother had to come back to Australia to have me and then go back to New Guinea. But despite that really remoteness and moving around a lot, we always managed to have a pet. Uh, my mother started with a, a, a cat um, up in New Guinea until it 
wandered off and was potentially eaten uh, by the, the local oh. peoples. Uh, but we ended up with a dog um, when I was in my, you know, sort of two or three years old, a little toddler. And I pretty much, I was a dog person from, from that point on. And, and every little remote community we then lived in, uh, when we came back to Australia, we had a dog of some description. Okay. And probably from the age of about five or six, I was always out in the yard training the dog. It was just my thing. I, I wanted to train the dog. And so we always had very obedient dogs. Um, and even as an adult, as I left home, I had dogs came with me. Um, one of them was quite interesting. Jeddah was a Ridgeback Great Dane, who was probably my first true soul pet. It was my first dog as, a, as an independent adult. And she was thrown out of a car and dumped in a park across the way from a store that sells foam and rubber. Oh. And my marine biologist boss needed a piece of foam for an experiment with corals. Mm -hmm. So I went off to buy her a 50 cent piece of foam. And as I was waiting in line, there's this beautiful puppy, brindle, long legs, floppy oh. ears, big, long, whippy tail tied up at the counter. And the gentleman behind the counter was serving someone else. So I just sat on the floor and played with the puppy. And before I know it, he's like, oh, you two are getting along well. I just saw someone throw this dog out of a ute and I picked it up. But I can't oh. keep it. I already have two big dogs. I was going to take it to the, the RSPCA or the pound. Um, and, of course, there's always a chance she was going to get put down if she didn't get homed and so next thing I know I'm like oh well I'll just take her with me so I paid my 50 cents for the foam and I came home with what turned into a 40 to 45 kilo Ridgeback Great Dane uh, wow. that we had for 12 years um, which was just beautiful but then she passed away and I ended up with a staffy, a little um, English staffy, Brindle again Okay. And little bear, we got him one year before my daughter was born or our daughter was born. And my husband was only ever going to let me have one child. And the deal was then <laughs> I have one dog. <laughs> so we got the dog first. He was my firstborn, little bear. And then Taylor, our daughter, came along 12 months later. And unfortunately, during the first eight years of her life, she developed many allergies, but one of them was to dogs and Aww. cats. And so this beautiful stuffy that they, you know, it was her big brother. They loved each other. He licked her feet in the bassinet and, you know, followed her around the house and she put ear bunny ears on him. Um, suddenly had to go and live outside um, because she started to get, her throat was starting to close up and she mm. was getting very severely allergic. Yes. And we had two trips to the hospital, in fact, with her going into anaphylactic shock as a result of dog spit. Oh. Oh, yeah, it was very scary and we just had no choice but to rehome my, my firstborn child. Oh, that <laughs> must have been bear. so difficult, but oh. that sounds like a very severe allergy. Oh, that's so scary. And for me as a dog lover, that was just heartbreaking, you know, but you do what, you know, when it comes to your family, you've got to look after your kids first. And right. I was very fortunate. I found an amazing home for Little Bear. There was a family who'd lost one of their two dogs that were a similar age, about eight years old. And they had a, a mother who worked at home, two young kids, only one dog now. So Little Bear turned up and um, ended up in their household, fell in love with the younger brother in the household and ended up sleeping on his bed and lived out his life until he was 15, which was last December he finally passed away. But amazing he, yeah he was amazing so I think in the first six weeks he lived in their house um the mother of the household Lucy told me 
Bear would run in and wake her up if little Harry had fallen out of bed. So oh. he just was just instantly, up. Oh, this is my new family and I'm going to look after them. So mm. I was so pleased that he ended up in a beautiful place. And then so embark we embarked on a five-year-long, very expensive campaign to cure my daughter of her dog allergy. Ah. And we did that successfully. So we did Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it was lots of visits to allergists, uh, lots of immunotherapy serum under the tongue because she didn't like the injections, which oh, were okay. another, another option, uh, which might have worked a little bit faster. So we, but you know, we we were very patient, and finally, when we noticed that she wasn't reacting or breaking out in hives when she was around other people's dogs and cats, we went, mm, I think we're ready to try. And I had been stalking a a poodle breeder for quite some time and she breeds for temperament and mm. not for show and she had already had a few dogs in her family or tree of dogs that mm -hmm. had trained as anxiety dogs and That's because great. we have a bit of anxiety in our immediate family we thought oh this would be nice but the breeder wouldn't sell to me because she knew that Taylor had an allergy and oh. she said it's not the fur that they're allergic to it's the saliva and she was a nurse. So she was absolutely spot on because that's absolutely true. The, people are not allergic to the hair of cats and dogs. It's the mm -hmm. saliva that cats and dogs lick onto their fur or the dander that people are allergic to. Right. So we literally had to prove to the breeder that Taylor was no longer going to react to the dog before she would let us take one. Okay. So I put us on a plane and I went down to Brisbane, which is about two-hour flight but probably a 15 or 20-hour drive three-day drive oh, wow. to get there so we flew down um but we went to the breeder um and taylor sat in a pen with five puppies and there were seven <laughs> adult poodles running around the house and jumping on the couch and after an hour of playing with them there was no hives no stiffly nose no sign of allergy and our one of 100 people application went from the bottom of the pile to the top the top Amazing. And the next day, the breeder um, had a litter of puppies and rang us up and said, Which one do you want? And so, 12 weeks later, uh, we had a puppy arrive. In fact, I think it was 10 weeks later. Yeah, because Gigi was nine weeks old, going on 10 weeks old when she arrived in a crate in town school. And within two weeks, we knew we had an absolute gem of a dog because there was two panic attacks going on. And she managed to sort those out in under 10 minutes, whereas normally wow. that would take me 45 minutes to deal with. So we just knew she was special from the get-go. Um, and never having had poodles before, I knew they were smart. People told me that, but I yes. didn't quite believe it, that they could be so smart. Um, and Gigi <laughs> is just, she's like five different dogs in one. She behaves very differently with different people in the household. Right. So, you know, she'll be quite rambunctious and vocal with my teenage daughter, who is also quite rambunctious and vocal. Uh, <laughs> my husband, who doesn't like loud noise and, and that, he's, she's very calm, except when she's out in the yard, in which case she loves to be chased and he loves to chase her. So they play chasey in the yard and then they snuggle and just have a nap together inside very quietly. And then there's me. And Gigi, somewhere along the line, decided that, there was something different about me. I wasn't like other people in the house. And turns out that I have post-traumatic stress um, disorder, PTSD. And so I'd been starting to suspect that. Um, but Gigi 
just started following me around and behaving quite oddly. She would bite me and scratch me and tear things up at my feet and go and get toys and drop them in my lap when I was at the computer. And I noticed that she wasn't doing that to anybody else, just me. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And then I had a meltdown at work and I ended up in you know, quite severe distress and could no longer go to work. Mm-hmm. And I got diagnosed uh, um, within three months of that with PTSD. And I'd go, hmm, I think the dog knew this well before the psychiatrist did. Yes. And so since then, Gigi has just become my constant companion, my guardian angel. And, you know, she she's probably one of the hardest working dogs in Australia, I suspect, because <laughs> she's a family therapist. She's the neighbourhood watchdog. Um, you know, she she looks after me wherever I go. And very soon she'll hopefully get jacketed, which means she will actually in Australia, we have a service dog program. Mm -hmm. Once they've been assessed and gone through some training and assessment, then they can get a little jacket, which means they can follow their their service person, their support. Mm I call myself her support worker. (laughs) I support her (laughs) because she was kind of timid. Um, So when we're in strange environments or people, love her because she's a beautiful little red poodle she has an Ooh. unusual color yeah and I've people... never seen a red poodle before yeah and I we have we have some breeds here that are mixes um yeah. like golden doodles and sheep doodles and sometimes you yeah. get more of a red color with the golden mix but I've never seen a, a full poodle that color that's color. yeah well they were the I think the original this particular breed breeder does specialize in the red poodles and the mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure the sperm that came over to start the lot the breeding line was from the states somewhere so somewhere okay. in the united states you've got a very very red um male whose sperm was sent to australia <laughs> and mixed with some other um, dogs that were already here and they started with this sort of breeding group of of dogs and started the red poodle line in Australia Mm -hmm. and the lady that bred them joy star poodles um, Jenny was a lifer so that was her entire life was breeding poodles Mm -hmm. and she was an amazing amazing lady and she passed it's a family business so she's passed that business now on to her daughter Nicole Mm -hmm. Um, Gigi came from her last ever litter um, oh wow that's amazing yeah she was so lovely because she'd been watching our story and talking to me and when she's kind of fell in love with our family and just wanted to gift us a dog as her last part of her last litter um and I'm now at a point where I look at that those dogs that come out of that that business or that that breeder and I can't recommend them highly enough to anybody who's got or wants a service dog right the, the pure poodles are a little more expensive because everybody wants to breed a poodle with something else nowadays. Right. But, you know, for me and for our family, the pure poodle was was what we wanted. And I had fallen in love with the red colour, I must admit. So I paid a little bit more for the red colour. Um, but being a geneticist, I understood that that might not last. And so right. even though one of each of her grandparents was that beautiful deep red that they'd imported from America, the actual parent, Gigi's parents, Matilda and Kobe, were apricot. Oh. And so, you know, when you mix the two apricots, right. you have to get at least one of the red genes 
from one right. of the parents. Because the, re- the red gene is recessive, correct? It's recessive, yes, absolutely. And so in this particular litter, all the puppies were various degrees of red, but they weren't oh. the really deep red. And so I didn't, you know, I paid a little bit extra for for the reddest female pup they had. <laughs> uh, but when she arrived and we looked at her closely, we went, oh, I think she might go apricot. But you know what? I didn't care. Right. Within a week we were, well, within... A, 15 minutes of taking her out of that enclosure, <laughs> we were absolutely smitten and yes. we wouldn't put her back for quince. So despite the fact that she'll probably go a little bit lighter, we love it a bit and she's worth right. every cent that we spent on her, um, both in terms of curing the dog allergy for five years beforehand right. as well as, as what we've spent on her since. And I can't wait to um, yeah see where she goes next. So she's only 16 months old now. Oh, wow. Okay. So she has a long life ahead of her. She has a very long life ahead of her. And I think when our daughter leaves home at, you know, 17 or 18, which I suspect she'll do, she's a very independent miss. I suspect that Gigi might stay and live with grandma. So she's my my grand puppy. I'm her grandmother. Um, (laughs) She'll be a lifer with me. Yeah. uh, We'll buy Taylor a cat when she leaves home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of rescue cats out in the world that'll need a home and she'll be able to do that then absolutely and I'm sure she she will love to rescue you know an animal she's got a beautiful heart my daughter and yeah she's a she's a lovely kid um so I think yeah there's, there's definitely a rescue animal in her future yes and I do want to say to our listeners especially in the U.S. um we're talking about breeding and 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 there's a lot of um information in the U.S. We, um, we advocate for rescue and adoption, um, especially for people who are breeding to make money or what we call backyard breeders. And those animals often end up um, with health issues or puppy mills. And we want to make it clear the kind of breeding we're talking about is something that is a good thing. We actually do do this type of breeding in the U.S. where dogs of specific genetics like golden retrievers and labs and um, German shepherds specifically are bred because they have the temperament to be um, rescue dogs, to be service dogs, um, and all of those things. And so I just want to make that clear to everybody since we're talking about breeding that there is a reason that we do this. And um, people with, whether it's mental health issues or disabilities, um, they actually often seek out those those dogs because they are the ones that work best for them and the needs they have, which are pretty, you know, like you said, they're with you every day and they're a working dog. They're incredibly hardworking and certainly many people are starting to breed with poodles in particular. And, and one of the really wonderful things about that is because you're breeding sort of different, I'm going to call them different races um, mm-hmm. of dogs together, you don't have as much problem with inbreeding right. um, as you might have if you just breed within breed. the same race. Right. So if you're going to get a, a, what they call a pure breed, it's really important you buy from a breeder who knows the genetics and knows the ancestry of their animals and is doing DNA testing to make sure there's no um, congenital um, problems with hips and knees and eyes. And and there are many genetic tests that can be done by breeders now. Absolutely. If they're going to breed, they need to rule those things out. And in the case of Joystar Poodles, they showed me the genetic um, breeding tests that had been done Mm -hmm. and they would not sell a dog 
to someone who was going to breed it if it had any of the genes Both whether issues. they were dominant or recessive because if it's a recessive gene it can make it, a dog can be a carrier without right. even having those conditions and may pass them on to the puppies so Absolutely. a really good breeder will be mindful of that and will understand right. those traits so if you're going to buy purebred yeah stay away from the puppy mills yes ask to see the dna testing ask to see the pedigrees and the profiles go and meet the dogs meet the the, the parents and the grandparents and yes help the great grandparents if you can right <laughs> <laughs> and just be sure that a they've got that beautiful temperament that you're after and b they're living in an environment that means their dna is i'm going to call it pure and untainted by stress and trauma mm. i like that yeah, well, we, we really know now, and, and kind of this is my specialty, is is looking at intergenerational trauma and mm-hmm. the same of true of fish and Pe- dogs and people. Yep. We know that nature and nurture both matter, not right. just to someone's or a, a dog or a, a dog's personality or a human's right. personality, but also to the children and grandchildren of that. Right. Of course, the experiences of our life, are attached physically through a chemical tag to our D- DNA, and if with we women to all the eggs we're born right. with, all of our eggs for our yes. children. So whatever we're exposed to in the womb, in the you know the first week childhood, of our life, our yes. birth, first formative five years, is all attached to that DNA in our eggs, waiting for us to to reproduce. Same is true of dogs. So if you've got a dog that's been abused or or mistreated in one generation there's a chance that its nervous mm. system is going to to be a little bit jumpy and right. just as we humans are so yes. uh, where you've got a family any family be it uh, canine or human if there was trauma you know it could have been uh, exposure to the holocaust it could have been a flood it could have been a bushfire it could have been right. an accident sexual assault or family domestic violence whatever Right. That tag will be there. And every generation adds their own tags. And mm. all of a sudden we have puppies and children who are born naturally anxious because their DNA tells them the world's a scary right. place. And so I think it's really important we don't make the mistake of just assuming that we meet the parents and it's all good. We right. Need to, we need to go back a couple of generations and these mm-hmm. generational effects can last for several generations um, but I, I would recommend most people look back three generations so look back to the great-grandparents and find out as much as you can about their not just their, their genetics but the environment in which they were raised if they were raised in a puppy mill stay right. clear of those puppies because... and you know and that is first of all that's such a beautiful explanation of that um, just a, it, because like you said it speaks to animals but speaks to humans you know um, a mother's trauma that she experienced from her mother or before that is passed on, whether we experience that directly or not. And, you know, generational trauma, it's kind of a buzzword right now. Um, I, there's a lot of talk of it, especially, you know, self-help or coaching, but it's real. It's, it's real. It affects your mental health. It affects your physical development. It will affect your personality. It'll affect the people you choose to have relationships with, all of that, you know, just like genetics. And so it's the same is true of dogs. Now, I don't want to lead people to think is if you, because you, if you were able to adopt a dog who had been in a puppy meal, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that dog. 
You just have to realize that the trauma they experience or their parents experience may affect their temperament. And most dogs can recover and with love and support in a happy, safe environment, they'll, they'll be okay. But it's just important to understand that aspect of the breeders who are doing it for the wrong reasons. And I think um, every, every puppy deserves to be treated beautifully. Right. But, and, and every puppy should be treated with kindness and compassion. And that's the way we break the cycle of intergenerational trauma is yep. one with humans, you know, it's not ethical to say, well, you've been traumatized, so you can't breed. Right. But with dogs, <laughs> we can go, okay, well, this dog um, probably shouldn't breed. Right. simply because of the risk to humans. If we have a dog that has that temperament and is passing that on and right. it mauls a child, because um, let's face it, even the most beautiful dogs can get triggered, yep. just like humans with PTSD. You know, mm -hmm. I get triggered sometimes. I can be pretty scary, you know, when I'm when I'm backed into a corner and someone right. does or says... Fight or flight, thing. we have it just like the animals. Yeah, absolutely. And so it just means the dogs that we take in those situations should go to the right homes, the right, right owners. Um, they need to put a lot of love and kindness and give them that nurturing and allow them time to come out of their shell. And right. I would generally say I probably would prefer they didn't go to a home with small children right? simply because the children don't know that the dog's got that history. And if they pull right. a tail or, a, or an ear, yeah. then it's not the dog's fault. If it Absolutely not. Yeah, unfortunately, so that's... That's where we put the fault when it's really not. Mm -hmm. um, and something I've talked about on other episodes is this is why I always advocate for if you can, you're planning to adopt is to try a foster to adopt process. That way, well, whoever your family is, kids or not, you know, everybody, the, the dog or the cat can come into the environment. You can take time. Like you said, a dog isn't going to adjust just like that. Just like a person. Imagine um, you know, if you, all of a sudden you were put into a new environment and expected to act just the way you were, you were in the last house and you're with new people and a new place and nothing's familiar. So I always advocate for foster to adopt if that's possible, um, to meet animals ahead of time, you know, all of those things, no matter what their breed, no matter what the situation is. And also when we talk about breeding, if there is a specific breed you're interested in, uh, I know here in the U.S., I'm not sure about in Australia, there's a lot of rescue groups that rescue one type or, or certain types. Like we have golden retriever rescue groups. Um, we have boxer rescue groups, things like that. And that's always a good way to go because the rescue is going to be more um, informed about that specific breed and how to help them. Yeah, I think because your population is so much bigger than ours, there's there's kind of a more there's the ability for some more targeted um, groups like that. In Australia, we have um, the RSPCA, which is the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the RSPCA. Oh, okay. um, so they're probably our main rescue group and they will take any breed. They're, they're not breed specific and it will be, you know, bitzes as we right. call them or, or mongrels for want of a better word. Um, we call like them that particular term. We call them mutts in the yes. US. Yeah, mutts is a much, it's a lovely term. Yes. Um, so yeah, with the mutts uh, uh, tend to go to the RSPCA. 
Uh, unfortunately, they don't get a lot of funding, so they, re they rely on public donations for funding. And we then end up with groups. Um, Angel Paws is the one that I yes. really loved and looked into for Little Bear, um, our little staffy that we had to rehome before um, our when our, our daughter developed a serious dog allergy at um, seven years of age. And so we had to give our eight-year-old staffy away. It was like giving him away my firstborn child. Oh, I can't I even waited. imagine waited 30 years to own a staffy and I had put my heart and soul into training him and then oh my daughter's throat was closing over and it just was unsafe and right. it was unpleasant for both because poor little bear got stuck outside oh. Taylor was stuck inside and the pair of them sat there with the noses on the glass door looking at each other and it was oh, heartbreaking so it took me 18 months to find a new home for him and I considered having him fostered out just because of the risk to the family right but I could at the end of the day, I, I contacted right. Angel Paws and they wanted to come and pick him up straight away and I wasn't quite ready for that. So I right. ended up hanging on to him and and found a, a lovely home for him. Just right. purely sitting out front of my daughter's classroom, talking to a lady next to me and, and she she literally said to me, oh, hi, I'm Lucy. And I said, hi, I'm Carolyn. And I you know, talked about the children. I'm like, what do you want to the rest of the day? So I'm going to the RSPCA to pick up a, uh, a puppy or a dog to go keep our other dog company because we've lost one of our two dogs. And, you know, he's an eight-year-old, the one left behind. Uh, and Rocky's a bit sad and mopey. And I said, well, I've got an eight-year-old Steffi at home who's a bit mopey too. Maybe we could introduce them. Uh, both being male dogs with a bit of right. Steffi in them, we weren't sure that they would get along. Mm -hmm. So we arranged uh, a meeting and I took Little Bear around to their yard and he did what Little Bear always did and be a beautiful animal who just allowed Rocky to be the dominant dog and mm. didn't, you know, he was beautifully socialised. Um, so they then came around and to our place and brought their husband who was in the Defence Force, so he wasn't around for the first meeting. But he came around to our place with the kids and met Little Bear in, on his home territory and saw how well behaved he was and well trained. And next thing I know, they're looking at me going, oh, well, can we take him now? Oh, and my gosh. Literally opened the back of the car and he's jumped in the car without any prompting. And I've gone, <laughs> oh, dear, I'll go get his bed and his food bowl, shall I? <laughs> I waved goodbye. He knew. To the first he, knew. he knew. Yeah. And for the first six months, I would go and visit him. Um, but he would try and come home with me, which was oh, a little bit confusing. confusing to him. Yeah. So I had to stop visiting until they moved far enough away and give them. So I had to stay away for about three or four months. And then I went and Lucy was a, a hairdresser at home. So I would go and get my hair done there just so I could cuddle him. Yeah. And she was a great hairdresser. Um, and eventually he just decided, you know, this was his home and he stopped trying to follow me home. And um they relocated to another town altogether and he had a wonderful life and lived to 15, um, passed away in the beginning of December um, last year. Yeah. But you know, we've got our beautiful Gigi now who doesn't cause any allergy problems. And, uh, <laughs> our family is once again complete. Yes. Uh, and for me, a, a house is, is not a home without a dog in it. And Absolutely. as much as my husband pretends he'd, he didn't want a dog, um, he secretly holds Gigi like a baby and kisses right. her and tucks her in at <laughs> night and this is Gigi is the first dog we've ever owned who has sleeps inside is allowed on beds and <laughs> is afforded all the luxuries of any other uh, small family member with red hair <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing you know yeah, yeah it, it's 
it's amazing how it works out. And I hear so many stories of the husbands didn't want it or the dads didn't want it. And then they're the ones that become so attached. That happened with my own husband with, with one of our cats that I rescued from a yard. He'd been left behind and, you know, you, we can't have another cat. You, you know, almost got divorced over it. And now who is his favorite person? My husband, <laughs> but it all works out the way it's supposed to. I, I believe that so much just in the way that you found the right family for little bear and the way you, you know, Gigi came into your life. So yeah. you mentioned that she's training to be a, a service dog, like officially. So yes. has she already gone to, through some of that training? What is that like? So we haven't, we haven't gone through the official, official training because I was waiting to see how her personality developed and her mm-hmm. temperament developed because um, I'm not sure what you have in the States, but in Australia, we have two different types of, of dogs that are working dogs in the community. Mm-hmm. There's therapy dogs, which are dogs that might go to a school or a prison or a right. other community setting and do workshops. And, and they're there to help all of the people in that group rather right. than the handler or the owner individuals. Right. Um, and therapy dogs have to go through, a, it's a similar training, but it's a different temperament test. And that they have to be a, the kind of dog that wants to meet other people and isn't stressed right. by that. So the, yeah. the temperament assessment is not about is the dog going to be um, dangerous to the people. Right. It's about is the dog going to be stressed by that kind of work. So right. it's to protect the dog as much as it is that the humans that they might come into contact with. That makes Whereas sense. Whereas, yeah, the service dogs are there for a very specific task for, for one special human. Right. And that might be a disabled person who needs a bit of assistance with, you know, if, if they're blind, it would be like a guide dog. If they're... Um, deaf they might need some assistance knowing when the phone is ringing or the door right. someone's knocking on the door if they're a ptsd dog like um Gigi seems inclined to be then they will scent when the person is getting triggered and their job right. will then be to notify them hey whatever you're doing you need to stop absolutely um so and you can have epilepsy dogs diabetes yes. dogs all yep. of those sorts of things yes and, so with Gigi, we just we just let her tell us what she wanted to be, and she kind of came into her own about. I'm going to say eight weeks ago. She just oh, wow just went from that puppy, you know, still yes. zoomy zoomy play play, but every now and then go, oh, I think somebody needs me. To right, you need me, and that she was she would she even though we bought her for my daughter and she and my the rest of the family as a family pet, she right. went grandma's the one who needs me most out of you lot so when grandma's around I'm gonna be right by her I write her and so because she's so young I I need her to just also sometimes be a dog and a pet and as I said to my daughter she was quite um upset and a little bit jealous to be honest because she went Mm. well you've got this dog for me why does she follow you everywhere and you know if we get her as a service dog does that mean she's your dog and I had to explain to my daughter that, and I, Gigi has chosen to work for me and right. I'm her support person. So when Gigi's nervous and upset, she jumps into my lap. And when I'm nervous and upset, she jumps into my lap. Right. Um, and she's chosen to do that. You know, she, it's just right. her natural inclination and there's nothing we can do. We can't set her down and go, now, listen, you're somebody else's dog in the family. You go over right. there. So uh, my daughter's taken some time to adjust to that, but she's now at a point where she goes, okay, yep, Gigi's a family dog. She helps all of us. 
and we're still negotiating. Um, she was happy <laughs> for me to get her certified as a therapy dog mm-hmm. and take her to workshops with my new business, the Wellness Warriors United Company, which is a mental advocacy and um, I'm developing resources to teach people about intergenerational trauma and help them Amazing. So and, and give them some some self-help tools to calm their nervous systems and understand their nervous systems. Um, and as part of that, I'll be doing workshops and retreats and training people and Gigi will be with me. Yes. Um, whether that's as a service dog or a therapy dog is yet to be determined. But right. as I said, I'm in I, I'm I've been talking to a trainer um, who does both and she and I have both pretty much agreed that we think Gigi has chosen to be a service dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go through the formal uh, temperament assessment in early June and we'll then make the final decision as to what Gigi's um, working future will look like. Right. Um, but either way, she will she'll be what we call jacketed. So once she has a jacket, that will determine whether people can pat her Therapy yes. dogs are okay to pet. Um, service dogs are not. Are not correct because when service dogs are working, they they need to be working. They shouldn't be touched. They shouldn't be, you know, interacted with. Basically, <laughs> therapy yeah, dogs on the other hand are used to yeah. their interacting. They want to, and um, those are important distinctions. Um, now, and I would also say that even if you're a service dog, even though you're working, service dogs still get to be dogs you know, they still have time off at home where they get to take naps and play ball and all those things. It's just when they're out in the public, um, they have a very different purpose. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that was my negotiation with my daughter was, you know what, she works for me, but she's your pet. So you get to play with her. In fact, it's really important that you spend time playing with her because she's not responding to you in the way she is to me. So you're her time off. You're her right. best friend. You're her the fun one. person. Yeah, her fun <laughs> person. And same with, with granddad, you know, granddad and her chase each other around the yard and they have great fun and we take her to the dog park and I actually get some of my um, cousin's kids who live around the corner. They will often pick her and take her to the dog park so that she oh, can just great. completely relax and she can right. run around and play. Um, and I take the odd weekend where I go away to fill my bucket, go scuba diving. And of course, I can't teach Gigi to scuba dive. So I leave her home. <laughs> I'd love to <laughs> I, see it, though. <laughs> yeah, it would be great to see. I, I, I suspect that someone somewhere there's tried it with one of those bubble helmets. But <laughs> I'm sure. But I'm um, sure a situation like that would actually be more anxiety producing for her. If she was with you, say, on a boat and you jumped off, she wouldn't know how to handle it. So it's a good thing for her not to yeah. be there. Exactly. So we sort of get, give, you know, give her the weekend off when I go away and she can just hang out with the, the rest of the family or if they come with me, we've got some beautiful neighbours who just love love her and want to play with her. So she gets little mini holidays and, you know, at least once or twice a week I make sure she just goes to the dog park with somebody else so right. that she can just let loose and, and be a puppy and, and play. And we do the same thing, you know, every morning when I have my morning coffee, we play, we throw the Frisbee uh, and here she comes now um, <laughs> she knows she's been own. talking about <laughs> yeah you'll probably see she might jump up on the bed and yeah here we go Carson. oh here we go. yes um, and oh. she'll scratch around and make a nice comfy nice little bed yeah yes. so she she tends oh. to slip off this bed so because the the sheets are quite um slippery but the other interesting thing um that you're uh while she's there, I'm going to take a quick picture of us. Yeah, please do. I'll I'll just move to the side so you can see her. She's going to do her little routine. (laughs) So cute. Oh my gosh. She is 
definitely see her as red. Yes, she's very red. Um, but she's also, we've got a blue-tongued skink, uh, which your, your listeners might be interested in. So while we were trying to cure the dog allergy, mm-hmm. uh, we were without a pet and, and that wasn't acceptable to us. Right. <laughs> so at the university where I work, they had some uh, blue-tongued skinks, which are quite large. They can get up to 40 centimetres and be sort of, you know, this round, which is um, saying, you know, this almost the thickness of a, the size of a tennis ball, the roundness of a tennis ball. Okay. But and I have to bigger. say, I've never heard of that. So uh-huh. is that a fish? <laughs> is it a fish, a reptile? What, what? It's a reptile. It's a lizard. Okay. So it's oh. a blue-tongued skink. Yeah, so it's got a beautiful blue tongue. I'll, I'll send you a picture because I've got a gorgeous photo of Gigi and the blue tongue skink sleeping together. Um, and, of course, poodles are naturally hunters. So she does hunt um, some of our non-native uh, lizards around the place, uh, what we call geckos. I don't know if you have them right. in the United yes, States. We, oh, yeah, we have those. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of them around at the moment in our house that don't have a tail anymore since Gigi arrived. So she hunts them <laughs> on the wall, um, which is not a, you know, we do try and stop her because they can give them worms. They can also right. give them salmonella. They have a bacteria in their, their gut that can make dogs quite sick. Right. So we've been trying to teach her not to chase them, but the skinks in the garden are native and they're quite long and skinny but the blue tongue skink is like a overgrown version of those and so whilst Gigi will hunt the little skinks in the garden and we're still working on that yeah she doesn't she seems to know from the minute she arrived we're introducing her to our pet blue tongue and she seemed to know he was different and bluey we had Bluey, his name is Bluey, not surprising. There is many blue tongue lizards in Australia called Bluey, I can assure you. Uh, <laughs> but we've had Bluey since he was um, eight weeks old. Um, they are born live from their mothers. And oh. at the university, they had 55 baby blue tongues all at the same time. Trying wow. To for them. So, yes, we took two. Um, mm-hmm. We had Cloudy and Bluey. Cloudy was a female and grew very quickly and had a very different temperament to Bluey. Cloudy was greedy and uh, a carnivore, whereas Bluey was calm and gentle and mostly a, a vegetarian mm. um, and grew much more slowly. And somewhere along the line, Cloudy decided to climb out of her tank and eat some things she shouldn't. Oh, and no. unfortunately, yeah, while we were on leave, she passed away and we came back from a cruise to have just Bluey. But that was kind of good for Bluey because Bluey all of a sudden became the favoured pet or the only pet. So Bluey oh. became my daughter's constant companion. So she would wrap him in a towel and they would sit on the couch and watch tv together they would lie in bed and read books together amazing and this lizard is the most chilled out dude you can imagine and i put him on my shoulder and walk around the street and he plays with the neighbors and that's the amazing love him and yeah he's he's eight years old now they live somewhere between 20 and 30 years mm. and we're gonna have him for a long time and I had him sitting here on the bed you can see behind me, which is in my study, mm-hmm. and Gigi was sitting on the ground beside me, and all of a sudden I noticed Gigi missing. And because Gigi had been, you know, eating skinks out of the garden, I imagined carnage on the oh, bed. Oh, no. Oh. I turned around, and I kid you not, um, Bluey was nose-to-nose with Gigi. Her, Gigi's paws were on the ground, but her nose was on the bed, and the blue tongue was kissing her on the nose. Oh, Oh, sweet. 
not believe it. And Gigi then insisted on getting on the bed and the two of them curled up and cuddled and had a little nap together. And the blue tongue decided at some point to wander off and he went down the side of the bed between the wall and the bed and just turned around. And all you could see about here somewhere was his little blue tongue flicking up. And every five or 10 minutes, Gigi would just go over and make sure he was okay. Oh and my from goodness. that point on, she will often she will run in here and she will go and look for him where he hid that day or she will go to the tub where we have him and basically look at me and whine and say get him out so we can, can hang out with him oh my goodness how sweet yeah so if if your listeners want to look at some pictures of him they're welcome to follow me on facebook um i can give you links and you're welcome to share them yes and please send be, me all your yeah. links and i will share them when the episode comes Beautiful. out so everyone can yeah, follow and I'll, i will do a video diary of Gigi's journey to being a service dog and getting trained so if that's people amazing follow along with that they can see what goes into it um and Gigi's just a beautiful cute dog that does lots of cute things so yes anyway, you never have too many cute Oh no! (laughs) And you know what would be great is once she goes through that process and and becomes an official service or therapy dog, it would be great to have you back and you can you know talk more about the process and how that worked and what you learned from it. That would be amazing. I'd love that. I would love to come back, and I'm sure Gigi would too. Yes. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for being here with me. I mean, uh. It's just been so amazing to hear your perspective in terms of being a geneticist and a marine biologist. And then on the other side, you know, your love for animals and pets and doing everything you can to have that a part of your family and, and to hear the story of Gigi and her knowing that you're her person, that you, she is needed and that she's going to do what she needs to help you. It's just really beautiful. Thanks so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you next time, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Story of My Pet podcast. Very special thanks to my guest, Carolyn Smith-Kuhn, for joining me all the way from Australia. It was so exciting to hear her work as a marine biologist on the Great Barrier Reef and her work in a genetics research lab. Carolyn sharing her experience about suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and how it has made her have to leave her job at this point has been really inspiring and helped me and hopefully you, our listeners, to realize mental health issues can impact anyone at any time. The best part, though, is that her dog Gigi stepped up to be her therapy dog. She was in tune with Carolyn and has started helping her deal with her anxiety. Now she's a therapy dog in training so that she can go with Carolyn wherever she needs to and hopefully one day back to work. We also talked about the Angel Paws Animal Rescue, a group that Carolyn's family has actually adopted a dog from. You can learn more from them in the episode description. Links to their website, Instagram, and Facebook are available. As always, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Story of My Pet Podcast. Get information on upcoming episodes, learn more about guests, and other exciting news. You can also sign up for our email list and learn more about being a guest on a future episode. 
Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you next time.